Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Okay, well, good morning, everyone. We've got some, some power here in the room, so that's, uh, that's good. I appreciate Brian and Mike working on that. Good to see you. Well, we've got some empty chairs, I think, spring break and some illnesses and things like that. But uh, that's okay. I'm glad, glad you're here, and I'm really excited about getting into the book of Proverbs today. It's a, a wonderful book for us to, uh, to study. So uh, let's pray, and we'll just jump right in and see what we have here. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be here today. I thank you for each brother and sister in the room today. I pray your blessing, uh, your encouragement, your nourishment of all of our souls as we look at your sacred and wonderful word that you've um, retained for us and you've kept for us. We thank you so much for it. So we pray that even as we look at your word today that we would see the glory of Christ, that he would become more precious to us. And we pray in his name, amen. Well, here's a quote from uh, one of the books that I've, I've been using um, called Old Testament Literature by Bartholomew and O'Dowd. Uh, listen to this, thinking about Proverbs. Proverbs expert Raymond Van Leeuwen tells the story about a conversation he had once with a friend who specialized in psychology. When he told her that, that his research was on Proverbs, with some disdain and rolling her eyes, she said, Whatever turns you on. Van Leeuwen comments, ironically, she dismissed the Proverbs with a proverb of her own. From her, from her 60s, whatever turns you on is a proverb. Well, indeed, whatever lack of respect we may have for Proverbs today, the proverb is, as Van Leeuwen rightly notes, the workhorse of language. So here's some popular Proverbs. Look before you leap, you reap what you sow, you get what you pay for. Don't pour the baby out with the bath water. No pain, no gain. Different strokes for different folks, etc., and etc. Some of those you could hear in a little bit of a biblical context. Some of them you don't. Um, but the point is that proverbs are a much bigger part of our life than we think that they may may be. Um, but let's think about the book of Proverbs. What are if you hadn't had time to think about this? What are your um, some of your favorite proverbs from the book of book of Proverbs. Can you think about one? Proverbs three, five, and six. Yeah, boy, well, that's a good one, isn't it? Uh, Proverbs three, five, and six. You want to read that? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own understanding. Think about Him in all your ways, and He will guide you on the right paths. Good. That's such a familiar passage. I think sometimes we forget that it's a, it's in the book of Proverbs, but it is. I hope nobody says, uh, God helps those who help themselves. That's not, that's not in there. So I'll save you the embarrassment if you're thinking about that. Okay, an another favorite proverb. Maybe you don't, maybe you can't quote it exactly, but it'll be another one that you like for me. I know you know some of us kind of strung this on you. 
Well, a couple of what I like so much, that was one that, that Teresa had, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Uh, 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for out of it flow the issues of life. 14.12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the ends are the way of death. 18, I like this one, 18.22, uh, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. I, write, I wrote Dixie with an exclamation point in that, in that one. Uh, one you may not thought about, but it is real clear to us, Proverbs uh, 27-17, iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. Okay, did I prime your pump a little bit? You got some others you can think about? I like uh, Proverbs 31, uh, 29. This is about from my wife. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Okay. So, from my wife. Thank you, Ralph. In honor of his wife, Proverbs 31, 29. 31, 29. Okay. All right. Any other, any other favorite proverb? The one that I try to keep in my mind all the time is Proverbs 25, 11, and 12. Like apples and gold, of gold and settings of silver as a word spoken in right circumstances. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. And it just reminds me to be very gracious with my words. Which Okay, that's a very beautiful passage, isn't it? What was the text of? Uh, uh, Proverbs 25, 11. Proverbs 25, 11. Thank you, Russ. Okay, one more or two before we go, before we continue. Proverbs 16, 9. What does that say? Proverbs 16, 9. God directs his steps. We've been quoting that to the ephahs about moving to California, not to Oklahoma. <laughs> Yeah, okay. All right. Well, let's look at our, at our uh, notes here. And I want you to see um, the outline. Uh, Proverbs scholars either see seven or eight um, sections in the book of Proverbs. And I want us to go through this today just briefly so you'll see these, these sections. Because um, what I'm learning is that the, that the way the book is put together will have a lot to say about how we interpret it as we go forward. I think what, I don't think, what, what we will see is that although Solomon is the primary author and source of the book of Proverbs, other people had a part in it. Uh, some really interesting parts that they had in it. And he obviously didn't put it all together. That happened later. And, and so there is some uh, divine inspiration of how the book is put together and the order of it, too. So let's just... Uh, open your Bibles and let's uh, to Proverbs one, and I just want you to turn to these passages. We're not going to read read much of them, but I want you to see the um, see these different sections and and uh, look at it. So the first, the title of the book and the prologue is chapter one, one through seven, and uh, so verse one. Here's the title of the book, and I understand from. <clears throat> My Hebrew scholar friends, that this is the longest title of a book in the Old Testament. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, uh, king of Israel. So just to kind of give us some context, uh, David, David reigned from 1010 B.C. to 970. Now, sometimes I have to remind my brain that when you're talking about B.C., the numbers get smaller as time goes on. Um, 
So to theoretically, you finally get the zero, and that's the, theoretically the birth of Christ. We know there's three or four years maybe that aren't quite chronologically exact, but, and then, that's some kind of Latin, anno domini, what is it? Anno domini. Yeah, what does that mean? The, year of, the year of our Lord. So, uh, so then the numbers get bigger after that, just so we can understand it. So, David, of course, he was the second king. Who was the first one? Saul, and uh, won't, he's not part of the title. So David reigned from 1010 to 970, which is uh, 40 years. And then Solomon uh, began reigning, of course, at David's death, and also about 40 years, 39 or 40 years. By the way, he was, uh, Solomon was born in 950, so he was 20 years old when he began, you know, began to reign, so a very young, very young man. And I put Hezekiah here because we're going to see why Hezekiah is important in a few, uh, few minutes. And some other, well, we'll see, we'll see about Solomon in, in a few minutes. So, uh, so, ver- so chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through 7, is considered the prologue or the introduction uh, to, the, uh, to the entire book. And then um, the next section is called, I just called it Various Discourses. And you see it starts in, in verse 8. Um, it's, I think it's obvious from the text that Solomon is the source of, this, of these discourses also, although it does not tell us uh, that he is. And some, some proverb scholars say that the real introduction to the book are these first nine chapters. Um, 1, 8 to 9, 18 is introduction. I haven't studied that a whole lot yet, so I'm looking forward this week to learning more about that. How how we the prologue is kind of an introduction to the introduction. The first nine chapters are an introduction. They get they get the reader ready for when the whole scheme of many many proverbs starts in uh, uh, chapter ten. So uh, look at look at chapter ten verse one. And the, just the point I want you to see here is that uh, somebody added this little heading in chapter 10 called the Proverbs of Solomon. So that's or the, what we call here, there's, there's two areas, there's two, two sections called the Proverbs of Solomon. So this is the first, uh, the first section, the first collection of Proverbs uh, from Solomon. You remember how many Proverbs uh, Solomon wrote? 3,000, or at least he recorded uh, 3,000 of them. So we don't have very many of them. We have a couple of hundred of them here in this, in this book. But so that's the first collection, and that goes, uh, you can see it's a large area, 12 uh, chapters from 10.1 to 22.16. And so now look at 22, 
17. And scholars believe that here um, begins a different section in Proverbs 22, 17. And they say that because, because they believe that the words of the wise is a technical term in the book of Proverbs. We're going to see it back in chapter 1 when we get back there in a few minutes. But they believe that, that, uh, that this section, 22.17 to 24.34, is a, a separate uh, group of Proverbs. And uh, Solomon may have put it together, maybe not, but there was, a, there was a, a, a wisdom class, I guess you would say, a wisdom group uh, in uh, Israel at that time. Solomon wasn't the beginning of it, but he kind of put it on the map for it to, uh, for it to become a, a significant class. And um, so those men, maybe some women, I don't know who all was in that group, they began to gather some proverbs too. And so somewhere uh, this, uh, this body of proverbs from 2217 to 2434 uh, was a unit of, of proverbs. And the one idea is that maybe this group was added, as we're going to see here in a few minutes, by what's called the men of Hezekiah. Um, uh, to this, to make up part of this book, maybe, uh, maybe between the time of Solomon and the time of, of Hezekiah, you can see Hezekiah is about two hundred years later. Oh, I feel like. So, are you saying that 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 it's unknown who wrote them, or it's unknown who collected them? I think both. Okay. Yeah. I know that kind of bothers us sometimes when we think, well, I thought Solomon wrote all of them. Well, that, that may or may not be true. It has nothing to do with whether they're inspired or not. We believe that if they're inspired, they wouldn't be in the, in the canon. But yeah, I don't think we know for sure where they, where they came from. But the, the Hebrew scholars say the sayings of the wise is a technical term that marks out this particular group of, um, of wisdom tradition in Israel at that time. Uh, all of the, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, all of the ancient Near Eastern countries, not all of them, but most of them had a wisdom tradition. Now the others were pagan and they, you know, they drew from pagan sources. They, they had, their understanding of the creation was, you know, was, was pagan. So they're distorted, but they had a wisdom tradition uh, too. It, and that, so that would be Mesopotamia and, and Babylon particularly. <coughs> And isn't it an interesting, uh, interesting observation that that God exported Daniel and his three Hebrew friends to where? To Babylon. And uh, it seems pretty clear that God used Daniel to to kind of reorient the uh, the wise men, so to speak, in in Babylon. Of course, he saved their lives a couple of times by his. You know, by his understanding, and there's even some some idea that maybe the the uh, the magi, the wise men, and the birth of Christ maybe grew out of that group. That's why they understood that the Messiah would come through Israel. Well, that's a long. We're not going there, but so um, this collection of the sayings of the wise, twenty-two seventeen to twenty-four. 
34 and then 25.1, you notice again, verse 25.1, these also are the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah of Judah copied. So this is a really interesting idea that, um, that some, some Hebrew scholars believe and historians believe that, uh, that maybe a good number of Solomon's Proverbs were just orally transmitted. And I don't think we realize we live in a so-called uh, literate society where everything's written down. That hadn't always been the case everywhere, and so a lot of things were orally transmitted. And maybe by the time they got to Hezekiah, Hezekiah you know, was one of the more godly kings, uh, he or somebody said, we better write these things down and collect this wisdom because we're going we're gonna to need that. And so um, we don't know who these men of Hezekiah were. They, they were probably his part of his court also that were wise men. Was it Asaph? Yeah. Of course. In that time period, there's several songs that. Could have been, yeah. yeah. He wrote some of the songs, didn't he? Yeah. Could have been. Uh, Christy said, was Asaph one of those men? And maybe, maybe so. I haven't looked at that particularly. Okay. So somehow this group was important, and it could be that they were the ones that put the whole book together. And we'll see in a minute that that may or may not be, may or may not be true. Okay, so uh, uh, and then um, Proverbs thirty one through thirty three. Now this is Augur, and we're going to talk more about Augur um, or Augur. I don't know how to say his name. In a few minutes, when we talk talk about authorship. Um, but this is an interesting chapter, and the, the Hebrew scholars say that Proverbs 30 and 31 are really in a kind of a unique um, place in the book of Proverbs. They both appear to be very clearly a separate uh, document that's been added to the, uh, to the book. The, one of the interesting things about the words of Augur, uh, the son of Jacob, and we'll look at that in a few minutes. Are these numerical proverbs? They're really interesting. We'll look at them someday in chapter 30, um, beginning in verse 15. And it goes all the way to verse 31. You can just see verse 15. The leech has two daughters, give and give. Three things are never satisfied, four never say enough. So he, he has these really interesting numerical proverbs that he's uh, put down there. And then uh, chapter 31, there's some, some, uh, uh, some different opinions about chapter 31. Now we see an interesting thing. This is uh, from a fellow named King Lemuel, and we're going to look at Lemuel and Augur in a, in a few minutes. Um, so we don't know for sure if this is what, the, what King Lemuel wrote or what his mother wrote. Apparently she had a, a strong influence in his life. And the other question is, uh, is, are there two sections in Proverbs 31? Is there uh, Lemuel and his mother, which would be 31, 1 through 9, and then there's the, pra the praises of the prudent woman. Well, did Lemuel write that also? We don't, we don't know. There seems to be, um, let's see, that the, the prudent woman starts at verse uh, at verse 10. 
So it doesn't matter from the pers- you know from the perspective of of uh, inspiration, but it does matter. Uh, just kind of thinking about had this happen. Uh, one of the things that may be of interest to you, and, and also because the the, um, the praises of the prudent woman is definitely a poem by itself. It's 22 verses long. It's very different from the other parts of Proverbs because it's a what's called an acrostic poem, which means it's, there's 22 Hebrew letters. Uh, you would you would hear the you would hear the uh, the English equivalent, the, the Hebrew uh, alphabet is Aleph, Beth. Well, then it kind of falls apart there, Gimel and uh, Daleth. So that's about as much as I can impress you with my with my Hebrew. Um, I had Hebrew in seminary. I really I really liked it, but it but. Um, or was I glad to be done with it because I haven't looked at it much uh, since then. But I did uh, want to be really impressed. I did make a copy of uh, this, um, of this uh, poem, the, the poem to the prudent wife. And you can, if you want to see it, you can actually see the, the first letter of the first word in the Hebrew of each verse are the consecutive letters. Oh, that's a parenting class over there, isn't it? Are <laughs> uh, the consecutive um, letters of the Hebrew alphabet? So A, B, C, D, E. That's how that how that works. So that's interesting. But the point is that it does show it does show that the um, that this is a separate document, and where it came from we don't know. Maybe maybe uh, Lemuel wrote it. Maybe his mother did. Maybe uh, maybe not. Okay, well, let's talk about uh, let's talk about authorship. We yeah. Are any of the other acrostics? That's the only one, I think. Yeah. There's other acrostic passages. Yeah, there's some acrostic psalm. Psalm 119 is should be the most famous one, maybe in some ways. Psalm 119 is 176 verses divided into 22 octaves of eight, eight verses apiece. So therefore, um, Psalm 119 has those 22 sections, and it, probably in any Bible, it would, the first one would be called Aleph, then Beth or Bait. So that's a pretty neat uh, thing. I, you know, I know that we, that we, um, um, that we give... Uh, Credit to the inspiration of Scripture, but God did use people to put this together. So I think that's amazing that here is a uh, even just those 22 verses in, in Proverbs 31. That took some skill, didn't it? Can you think about writing a a poem with 22 verses and start with A, B, C? Understand that Lewis Carroll did that. And part of his uh, um, uh, what did he write? Uh, Alice in Wonderland, and uh, that part of that he he made an acrostic of the of a girl named Alice something something that was his model for Alice for Alice in Wonderland. And he put the acrostic in there so that it would kind of be embedded in that story. 
Hey, Mark. It's, a, it's a memory device. It helps people. Remember. That's good, yeah. A um, mnemonic device. Okay. Yeah, good. Yeah, Mark said that's a, a mnemonic a memory uh, device. That's good. So all you got to do is learn Hebrew, and that'll help you to, to remember. Uh, when Dixie and I were married for 25 years, we went to, I was already doing some work up in Colorado, and, um, um, and so she joined me on our 25th anniversary, and I've been working on memorizing this poem. And so uh, we went hiking and went up on a mountain, and I sat her down on this, on this rock, and I got down before and uh, tried to quote this, this proverb. It didn't turn out too good, but at least it sent a pretty good signal. That, uh, okay, let's look at, let's look at uh, authorship. And of course, we unashamedly un and undoubtedly know that, that, um, that Solomon is the primary author, if not always the author, uh, a compiler of much of this. And I just thought it would be good for us to take a few moments to go back to 1 Kings. And um, we could do 1 Kings or 1 Chronicles. We'll just do 1 Kings. And just look at some of the uh, biblical record of uh, Solomon and uh, how huge he was uh, in, the, in the tradition of wisdom uh, in, the, uh, in Israel at that time. So these are... These are uh, familiar passages, but I was, it just really helped me to kind of go through a, a three or four of these. And so let's, uh, let's do that. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 3. We, we won't read all of those uh, 10 or 11 verses, but let's start with uh, verse uh, 7. Now this is, um, this is, uh, <coughs> This is right early in Solomon's, uh, in Solomon's reign. I think, let's see, I was looking at a timeline. I think uh, it looks like he began to build, the, to construct the temple when he was 24 years old. So he began his reign at 20, now he's 24. So this is really, and he is a young guy, isn't he? Um, so uh, the Lord appears to him in Gibeon and um, um, and here's his prayer beginning in verse uh, 7. So would somebody read 1 Kings 3, 7 through 12? Who would do that for us? Just any fine read. Okay, Elaine. And now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? Okay, then 10 through 12. Yep. Okay. If Please the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. 
Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you have been has been before you, or none, and none like you shall arise after you. Okay, good. Thank you. Well, that's an amazing story, isn't it? Where you think, man, Israel's on their way with this with this young man to be their king, and that really was true. But um, uh, what we see here, the humility of this young man, uh, his his recognition really does express the fear of the Lord, which as we've seen is the is the foundation of wisdom. And God answered his prayer in an amazing way, which makes later the things that happened in Solomon's life just such an enigma, such a mystery to us and we'll look at that in a, in a few minutes. So he had a great start didn't he? And then uh, the writer of the book of Kings gives us an example of Solomon's wisdom. We won't read the story but I'll just recount it to you. Remember um, a, a prostitute came to him and said I and another lady live in the same house and, and uh, we were both pregnant we both had babies and um, this other lady she rolled over on her baby and the baby died and during the night, she switched, she took my baby away and put her baby uh, next to me. And when I woke up, there was the little my, the baby, and I realized it wasn't my baby that the mother, the other mother, had had switched the babies. And um, let's see, what did she? Um, yeah, so verse twenty-one, uh, three twenty-one. When I when I arose. In the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, No, the living child is mine, and the dead child is yours. The first said, No, the dead child is yours, and the living child is mine. Um, thus they spoke before the king. Um, oh boy, I wouldn't want to be the counselor in that room with that kind of thing going on. Uh, but Solomon, uh, uh, or he exhibited wisdom, didn't he? Man, where did he? So, what was the wisdom that he had in this situation that solved it, that made it clear? It was confusion now, but what was it? Uh, Teresa? Well, to be able to determine who was the real mother, he said, "Kill the baby, give her half, give him the other one half." And he knew the real mother would say, "No, don't kill the baby." No matter what, spare the baby. So right. then he was able to determine who the real mother was. So what was, what was the insight that he had about motherhood? Mother's protector. Okay. Love of a mother for their own child. Right. Yeah. So let's think back at well, three or four weeks when we, as we looked at the concept of what is wisdom. Wisdom is seeing life from the perspective of the order of creation. He could see that. And I think we're going to see that more and more. That seemed like a really broad statement, and I've thought about is, you know, is that all wisdom is looking at life from the order, from the perspective of the order of creation, but realizing that that God has created the world and the universe, and or we're learning more and more about the order of the universe, and therefore by implication, He's also put order into our into our lives, into our moral lives, and those two things uh, flow together. And here. Um, Solomon uh, was perfect, wasn't he? I mean, how beautiful that is, don't you? Well, there's our, world, our word again. How beautiful wisdom is when you see that Solomon had exactly what was needed to address that situation. 
Well, we can look at more of that. Okay, uh, chapter four, just a little bit about the renown of Solomon's wisdom. Um, these are some interesting things in chapter four, uh, verses 29 through 34. I'll just read those for us. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore. I mean, it's just over-the-top kind of inf- kind of knowledge in, or, or wording. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. So there's his surrounding pagan nations. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite. Now, this is not an unknown fellow to us. Ethan the Ezraite wrote Psalm 89. So we know who this who this fellow is, apparently part of the part of the wisdom cohort that was around uh, Solomon. Then he mentions these other fellows, Heman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Maho. Um, I looked, I tried to look at these guys, and these, these may have even been relatives of his, like maybe uncles, but apparently the, uh, the Hebrew word Maho is the idea of a, uh, of a musical group. So they, they may have been part of the, part of the music also. Um, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish, and people in all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And from all the kings of the earth, who had heard of his wisdom. So the scriptures is really just kind of overdoing it to impress on us uh, the place that Solomon has or had uh, in the development of wisdom. He, there was wisdom in Israel before that, but he really put it on the map and established you know, this uh, body of literature called uh, the wisdom literature. Well, uh, the visit of the queen of Sheba I won't read the whole thing, but uh, uh, I just want you to see something here. The Queen of Sheba, let's see, where is that? Oh, that's uh, 1 Kings 10. First Kings 10. Uh, it begins in, in verse 1. I just want to read a couple of verses here because it will be, it'll be helpful to us when we get back to, the, to Proverbs in a few minutes. So, 1 Kings 10, 1. Now the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. She came to test him with hard questions. We're going to see that, that term, hard questions, back when we get back to, to the prologue. Um, so she said, I'm just going to find out, you know, if this guy's really for real or not. And so she had concocted a bunch of hard questions. Um, we don't know what they were, but she said, I'm going to, I'm going to test this guy. So she came to Jerusalem, verse 2. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And it just blew her away. She said, I, I heard about you, but I, didn't, it just didn't, I just didn't imagine you know, how great your wisdom was. And then he, she talked about her, his gold and his, 
uh, you know, his court and all those kinds of things. And she says uh, down in uh, verse 7, But I did not believe the reports until I came, and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpass the report that I heard. Happy are your men, happy are your servants, who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king that you may exercise justice and righteousness. Well, folks, it couldn't be any better looking at the life of Solomon with the start that he had. We would think, well, we could write the rest of this history. What could go wrong, you know, with God's blessing in this man's life? Um, But as you know, something went terribly wrong. Let's just look at that for just a moment. Uh, This is just in the next chapter. So the understanding here is that the date of this would be 940. So Solomon was Solomon was born 950. So at 9 wait, Solomon was born 990. Yeah. Okay. See, I need my little time right <laughs> So Solomon was born at 990, and we think that this is at 940. So how old was he? 50. He was 50 years old, apparently, about that time. Uh, he lived to be 60, so this is you know, toward the end of his life. And um, uh, this is going to get really interesting as we work through Proverbs, but particularly when we get to the book of Ecclesiastes to try to see how, where in the world does that come from and how does that fit uh, written by Solomon. So, he's a 50-year-old man. And uh, I think we should just read this. This would be uh, 1 Kings 11, 1 through 8. Um, who would read 1 Kings 11, 1 through 8? Pick up, Christy. Loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love, and he had seven hundred wives, princesses, and three hundred concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Shemosh, the the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Moab, the abomination of the people of Ammon. Is there one more? Yeah. 
Yeah, verse and eight. he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrifice to their gods. <sighs> and that's just as astounding on the negative side as the positive side that we just read about. We know he lost his mind because he had 700 wives. <laughs> that's not very... <laughs> And 300 concubines. I mean, how do you even keep up with anyway? We don't need to go there. Yeah. Can we um, leave? Can we react? Uh, delete that part. From the, <laughs> okay. Um, I tell you what's really sad here is uh, a couple of these gods that are spoken of: Chemos and Molech. They were even involved, involved in child sacrifice. Mm-hmm. How could this happen? To go from, I mean, I know it was toward the end of his life, but it's only uh, 20 or 30 years since he had this enormous, great uh, you know, revelation from God and God's promise to give him wisdom. Now, what happened? His wives turned his heart away from the Lord. Okay, his wives turned his heart away. Why, what, what happened? Why did he even go after them? What's, what's going on here? There are alliances with foreign countries, other countries, pagan countries. Okay. Forming alliances with them, marrying one of their royal people, so that basically, you know, they're not going to come attack us because their daughter is in our palace. Yeah, okay, so Mark says this was part of the political strategy in countries at that time to intermarry with other countries to, to have uh, peace alliances. But the Lord absolutely said don't do that. Okay. Didn't other countries, because he was, the Lord blessed him with riches and everybody looked up to all that he had to the point that they all wanted to be so they were they were wanting to be part of Solomon, which probably lifted him up sidewise um, to think I'm wise and I'm wealthy, and you know, then his need for the Lord was okay. Gone. So Christie says because of his great wealth and his wisdom, he was a great pinnacle of uh, respect and honor among the nations, and that got to his pride and. And uh, they wanted they wanted the peace of Solomon, and he liked that idea. So that's a good, a sad point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it really does say here. You know, it wasn't just political alliances. He was deeply attached to these women. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's like he's trying to find a satisfaction in humans, as opposed to God. I think ultimately he was misplaced his his satisfaction and his love. Okay. So, Trey says, it's very clear in the text that he had a, it wasn't just a political alliance, he had an affection, a great love for these, for these women. It was misplaced uh, affection. So what's the technical term? What did, what did he lost? What did, the thing about wisdom, he had these 3,000 Proverbs, he had all the, I mean, every kind of idea and every kind of uh, uh, principle and guideline he could ever want. This would be an encyclopedia of these things. He had all those, but yet that wasn't enough. What was it that he lost? What is the beginning of wisdom? The fear. He lost the fear of the Lord. This this became a a, a idolatrous apostasy. As Tree said, his affections were 
were drawn away from the Lord uh, toward these women and toward his own power and toward his own, toward his own fame. So we're beginning to see a little bit about the lessons that we're going to gain from Proverbs and Ecclesiastes particularly, uh, that it really is true, we won't get to that this week, but really is true that wisdom is not just a mental exercise of understanding, it is a, a moral commitment of our heart in worshiping the Lord. And if we, if we lose the fear of God, uh, we will lose, we will not be wise people. Okay, well I want to, any, any other word before we go back to just looking at the, um, at these other authors perhaps. Now let's do that real quick so we can kind of bring this to a close. So let's look at the, the other authors. Um, we don't even need to look at, at these first, these next two. The wise, we don't know who they are, but they, they were apparently part of the part of the wisdom cohort that was uh, available in Israel at that time. And then the men, the men of Hezekiah, uh, again, this just shows, I think, the development of, of wisdom and a, and a class of wise people, wise men, that were in the, in the, um, in the royal court. Um, by the way, I, I, there's some really strong ideas uh, perspectives on the book of Proverbs that it was literally written, put together as a handbook for kings. We'll see that in a, a little bit, as not today, but as we look through um, through the book, um, we'll see that, I think. Okay, but let's look at these two fellas, these two mystery men, uh, Augur in Proverbs 30 in verse 1. There's some interesting uh, Hebrew uh, technicalities here that make this really interesting. So now we're going to kind of put these two guys together. So Proverbs 30, verse 1, the words of Augur, the son of Jokeh, uh, the, or, the oracle. Now, if you have an ESV, um, do you have a, 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 techno, a, a textual note down in on the ESV. Okay, Isabella, what does it say? It says, or Jaka, the man of Nasa. Yeah. So, first of all, uh, an oracle. What is an oracle? Speech by letters. Okay, that, it, it's a speech, and particularly, uh, Ralph said, it's an inspired utterance. An oracle, an oracle, oracle, an oracle can be a person that God speaks through. You know, it could be a prophet, or in the pagan, in pagan lands, it could be a, you know, a priest in a pagan temple that had some kind of like Balaam. Uh -huh. like Balaam. Yeah, Balaam, maybe some. I think. In fact, I think probably that word is used describing some of the things that he said or didn't say. So it could be a person. Uh, I guess it could be a donkey, maybe, but but it could also just be the content of the of the revelation. But it usually has some kind of divine, supposed divine origin to it. So so that kind of gives you an idea of uh, of what the what the Hebrew says that this was some kind of 
uh, authoritative um, communication, supposedly from the board. But uh, you may know that in Hebrew, um, that in the Hebrew text, there are not any. There's no vowels. It's just all all uh, consonants. And so uh, Hebrew uh, textualists, they would come through and put the vowels where they thought that they should go. And normally there wasn't any question about what the word was, but apparently in this Hebrew word, it could either be translated oracle or with a different use of the vowels, it could be translated uh, masa, M-A-S-S-A. And that could be a reference to a, um, geographically to a tribe in Arabia. Okay, so don't let that just blow you away. But the point is that that it could be, and that would be the same thing for uh, for Augur and for Lemuel, because they both have the same word oracle. It could be a reference uh, to a foreign country. The point being is that Augur and Lemuel may have been non-Israelites. And that shouldn't bother us. God can use anybody he wants to to write, this, write the scripture. In fact, we may see in, in uh, the book of Job that Job and his friends were non-Israelites. So uh, anyway, that's just a point that I thought might be of, of interest to you. So I think we'll uh, stop there and we'll pick up with the prologue. I'd encourage you to read the prologue. It's only seven verses. And we'll actually get into the actual study of the text uh, uh, next week. I think that's all I have. Thank you.